It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. What about scarves? You put me in fashion, then I'm done. What about scarves? I guess I'm done. What about scarves? I guess I'm done. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 655 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, February the 5th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We have so much stuff for you going on over at the NBA Network and the NFL and hockey and baseball and everything. We got it all covered for you. And in particular, a fun thing you should know about is there's a contest going on right now for the Locked On NBA Network where you can win tickets to see your favorite NBA team. Basically, what you got to do is go to the at Locked On NBA Net Twitter account. You got to comment with an NBA trade prediction ahead of tomorrow's deadline. You have to be granular. You have to get down to the picks and everything like that. And in addition to that, you got to follow the Locked On NBA Network on Twitter. You got to like the post and you have to tag five friends in your reply. And when you do that you are going to be put into the draw to potentially win tickets. And how you get drawn is if your trade happens and you are the first chronological person to predict that trade, you are going to go home with tickets to your favorite NBA team. So you're the Raptors in this case, if you're listening to this podcast. So make sure you're going over there at Locked on NBA Net on Twitter. Reply to the pinned tweet with a trade prediction. Do all the steps that are there in the graphic that tell you all the steps. And you might go home with tickets to go see the Raptors, which would be pretty damn cool. And as always, please subscribe to rate and review all the podcasts on the network. It's very much appreciated when you do that. All right, on today's show, uh, we're going to have a chat with Tony East, who is the host of Locked On Pacers. We had a great chat on Tuesday night, teeing up the home and home between the Pacers and the Raptors this week. A fun matchup. Victor Oladipo was back. The last time these two teams played, the Raptors were without Marcus Gasol, Norman Powell, and Pascal Siakam. And it just so happens they're without the first two guys on that list again. But Pascal Siakam will be playing uh, on Wednesday as the Raptors go to try to break their all-time record for a win streak with 12 so we got all into the matchup the nitty-gritty 
and you know kind of did the, the typical crossover thing i know people love these episodes we haven't done a ton of them this year and i'm sorry for that we'll try to get more as things get more serious as the playoffs uh, near here and uh this was the start with tony east it's a lot of fun hope you enjoy it but first i want to address some of the masai ujiri talk that was coming out yesterday the panic is widespread at this point. The reporting is certainly ominous from the likes of Mark Stein and Michael Grange and Bruce Arthur and all over the place. And look, man, I, now there's actually a job opening, and that's scary. And, you know, Steve Mills getting fired yesterday certainly is the sort of thing that kicked all of this stuff off. I think within minutes, Adrian Mojnarowski was tweeting about how Masai Ujiri was the target for James Dolan. But at the same time, there's a lot of conflicting reporting out there as well, suggesting that maybe James Dolan is not that enamored with Masai Ujiri anymore. Maybe he actually is uh, mad about getting fleeced by Masai in trades in the past. You know, so there's that. There's the fact that they've already brought in other people to interview or have started the interview process and are thinking about maybe bringing in a player agent or something like that to try to follow the Warriors model with Bob Myers. There's a lot going on here. And the Knicks, to me, are one of the most bumbling and stupid organizations in the league. And it feels a little far-fetched they're going to be able to pull off this coup to get Masai Ujiri in town without any sort of hiccups or going off track of their plan. Because James Dolan seems like an idiot who doesn't like to stick to a plan and kind of goes with the wind and where his poisoned brain leads him. So I that's like a piece of solace I found in all of this when it comes to Masai Ujiri. James Dolan's an idiot and that might save the day. At the same time, there's a lot to be worried about here. Obviously, Masai's contract is up at the end of next season. Apparently, there's some sort of clause in there, and the relationship with Larry Tannenbaum is such that if Masai really wanted to jump ship and join the Knicks, he potentially could. You know, that's not firm reporting or anything like that. That's just conjecture and people in the know suggesting that. And there's also, you know, the the challenge of, you know, running the Knicks. Obviously, you know, working for James Dolan seems like a nightmare, but someone of Masai Ujiri's stature might be able to hold a little bit of leverage over James Dolan in a situation where Dolan would need Masai much more than Masai would need the Knicks job because Masai doesn't need a basketball job. And as I've maintained, I still believe that Masai's next job is most likely to be outside of you know, running a team, whether it's a league office job, whether it's something with NBA Africa, whether it's running for political office, I don't know. I feel like his talents are almost wasted running a basketball team, which is incredible to say, considering how good he is at running a basketball team. But uh, I kind of think he has talents to offer the rest of the world and the rest of the league in a a little more more of a profound way. And so I've always kind of felt that. But if the money is right, and the Knicks are going to throw whatever money they're going to throw at him and you know, Masai embraces the challenge of working under Dolan and figuring out the thing and winning a championship for the Knicks for the first time since 1973, then I could see the appeal in some way. At the same time, there's a lot of arguments to suggest that, you know, why would he move? He's had, you know, his entire time in Toronto. He's talked about how it's home, how it's always been about Toronto, how, you know, he wants to build a winner. He wants to win again. And to me, it feels like it would be a little bit premature for Masai to step away, considering the one thing he hasn't accomplished yet, he's done it all. Like, I mean, he turned a crappy franchise into a good one. He got a G League team here. He turned it into a player development behemoth. He won a title. He pulled off massive trades. He kept existing stars in town and Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. He signed mid-tier free agents like Damari Carroll and the like. He's done all of that. The one thing he hasn't done, really, in Toronto is lure a big-time free agent and finally erase the people don't want to play in Toronto stigma. 
And it would feel a little weird, considering all the planning that has seemingly gone into the summer of 2021, whether it's for Giannis or somebody else, but it's definitely for Giannis. It would seem weird to not see that plan through, and maybe the Bucks being as good as they are, and maybe the likelihood of Giannis staying in Milwaukee long term is weighing on this as well, and maybe you know Milwaukee will sign Giannis to that Supermax in the summer, and boom, Masai's gone, that plan's out the window when things are over. Fine, you know, I, I guess I would understand that. It just feels like if that's even still a possibility in the slightest, it would be a little bit premature, it seems, for Masai Ujiri to just jump ship before really seeing out his vision. And, you know, there was the talk of Bobby Webster. Is he, maybe he going to join Masai Ujiri to go to the Knicks? That doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Our pal Joe Wolfon pointed out last night, why would Bobby Webster continue to sort of be under somebody when he, in theory, if Messiah were to jump ship, would kind of run the show in Toronto. Maybe he gets promoted to president and you have like Dan Tolzman take over or Teresa Resch take over as the GM. That'd be cool. And I think would help sort of maintain the stability that the franchise has built up. And I, and I do think on some level, the team will be self-sustaining if and when Masai Ujiri's tenure does come to an end at some point. They've built such a great foundation. You know, Nick Nurse is still here. I would assume they would, they would do everything to keep him around long term, considering how good a job he's done. I would imagine he's probably in line for an extension very soon, considering how good a job he's done and, you know, likely going to win coach of the year and stuff like that as well. And so I would imagine they're going to bring in some sort of figurehead, if it's not Bobby Webster or whatever, to continue on sort of what Masai built here. And hopefully that that person is as sort of pragmatic and plotting and just you know holistically minded as Ujiri is. Obviously, that's hard to do because Masai might be the best person at his job in the entire world. But I think the Raptors would be in a pretty good spot either way, considering the sort of equity the franchise has built up. At the same time, you know, this is there's lots of sort of balancing the scales here. There, that it would be a real punch in the gut after years of believe in your city, believe in yourself, and Masai Ujiri talking up Toronto and trying to you know downplay the stigma that no one wants to be in Toronto for him to jump ship to the Knicks would be certainly a gut punch and might bring back all the Raptors fan insecurities that we've you know seen for a very very long time in this city and have been trying to get rid of for a very very long time. And so, you know, it's a really t- difficult situation, man. I-, I hope Masai stays. Obviously, he's more than just an executive. He's someone who inspires. He is someone who thinks differently. He hires diversely. He puts up women. He obviously has the ties to Africa. He has stature and clout within the league that just adds such legitimacy to the franchise. And he really is more than just a typical Jeff Weltman-ass executive. He's, he's something much more than that. And losing that would be devastating, for sure. And so, I, I don't know, I'm trying to talk myself into this all just being a leverage play from Masai, which it very well could be. Maybe he's looking for the absolute bag from MLSE, maybe he's looking for some ownership stake, maybe he's looking for added funding for Giants of Africa, and all of this stuff is getting out there just as a way to really kick MLSE into high gear to tear up the contract and offer him a new one. We don't know. The reporting is a little bit muddled on that and what his contract situation is like, but I, I, I think we should just kind of wait and see here. If the Knicks go and hire somebody in the next couple weeks here to be their president, then I guess the the rumors will go down for a little bit, and hopefully the, this sort of ends and Masai just continues on with Toronto, but obviously there's going to be a paranoia about it, and that's just kind of the deal, and I think with there actually being a job opening, which there was not the last time these rumors came out when Steve Mills was still in the job with the Knicks, I, I think it kind of adds a little bit more, uh, you know, gravitas to the rumors. But I'm going to hold off widespread panic 
for now. I will certainly scream and put sirens into the podcast if uh, if we're at a point where panic should actually be setting in. It's just uh, an uncomfortable uneasiness right now, I think, on the Messiah Jerry front. Anyway, I went longer about Masai than I wanted to, because uh, I, I still feel like the Knicks don't deserve any sort of response, but, you know, it's the news of the day, or the news of the last couple of days in the with the Raptors and in the NBA as well. So, had to talk about it a little bit, and now we're going to get to our conversation with Tony East from Locked On Pacers. I hope you enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Tony is awesome, and it will stay fresh for the next couple of days as well, because it's more of an all-encompassing look at the Pacers-Raptors matchup, as opposed to just a granular one-game thing, because they play two times in a row. It's like a mini-series, and... Uh, so we got into some deep stuff about the matchup and stuff like that. And if you are listening to this on Thursday morning and thinking, oh, no, I'm not going to get anything out of this because it's not fresh, you can still listen to it. It'll be great. Um, all right. That's going to uh, do it for this off the top nonsense. Let's get to the chat with myself and Tony East from Locked on Pacers. Wilson, you sent the game winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Locked on crossover action coming at you this Wednesday Locked on Pacers, locked on Raptors coming in. As always, I am one of the hosts of Locked on Pacers, Tony East. I cover the Pacers for Forbes and the West Indianapolis Community News. Joining me on the line, the lovely host of Locked on Raptors, who wrote a book about the current NBA champion Raptors and writes for a variety of places about Toronto's team, Sean Woodley. Sean, how you doing, man? I am doing great, Tony. Looking forward to the Raptors playing a team that doesn't suck for the first time in like three weeks. Um, it's been a nice 11-game win streak. Don't get me wrong, but I'm excited to learn something as opposed to just uh, realizing and understanding that, uh, yeah, most of the league sucks. So I, uh, this should be fun. Before we get into the Raptors' 11-game win streak, Sean, I think we have to remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by Taco Bell because Siakam and Sabonis going head-to-head in the Taco Bell Skills Challenge, officially announced a couple hours ago. This is that is true. I, I like that Sabonis is in it. I think Bam's in it, too. Which I Yeah, think it's a cool. fun big man group for once. Yeah, honestly, like this, the lineup for the Skills Challenge, minus Derrick Rose, who, you know, can go uh, kick rocks, um, <laughs> minus Derrick Rose is really, really good and fun. And the three-point really- lineup is, like, kind of a bummer to me. So I, I think I, and I'm also someone who thinks the three point contest is uh, terribly overrated. I think it's like, I do too. I agree. Basically the home run derby, which sucks in, in theory, it's fun, but it takes forever. It's repetitive and not super fun. So I am a skills challenge guy. I know like the format is weird and kind of silly. And the fact that you can just like whip three passes in quick succession and then just move on. Even if you miss uh, is, is silly, but I, I think there's something there. There's a bones of a cool contest that is way more entertaining, especially since they brought in big men, which is always fun. The three point contest would be cool, but they decided not to invite second best percentage in the league, Doug McDermott. So I don't, or Matt Thomas, uh, yeah. the guy who's only in the league because he can shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All-star weekend is fun and silly, but not silly is winning 11 games in a row. And you buried that lead for me, but we're still going to talk about it. So I only know that they've won 11 in a row uh, because I was checking 
uh, out the Raptors this morning for some prep for tomorrow. But I think the best team they've beaten uh, is Philly in that. And then the second best is what, the Spurs, right? So it's not like a murderer's row of opponents. Yeah, they, they beat the Thunder as... in there too. They, they looked really okay, good Thunder's in Thunder good. win. It was the first yeah. game of the streak when Marcus Gasol made his return and they just looked uh, awesome on offense. So is this is it as impressive as 11 game sounds or is it just they're kind of playing pretty well against not good teams? I mean, I, I, look, obviously no one's ever as good as they are when they've won 11 games in a row, probably. But I think the defense has been real and it's held up over the last 11 games. They're number two in defensive rating and the number two in defensive rating in the league. So that seems to kind of check out. Uh, and the offense has been it's like 0.2 points per 100 possessions away from being number one over the last 11 games. There's three teams tied at 118.3. So the Raptors are actually fourth right now over the last 11 games, but they've really picked it up on offense and having Marcus all back, although he's missed the last couple games and is going to be out until after the all-star breaks. He's going to miss both of these matchups with that hamstring injury he's been dealing with. Um, like, like they just, with Gasol back and with everyone sort of back in the lineup, Pascal Siakam finding some more efficiency and getting back in the groove. They, they've been just deadly on offense. Their transition game is, as always, very, very good. They have a lot of very good three-point shooters who are knocking down a lot of shots right now. And it's just a really efficient, well-oiled machine. There's lots of, you know, when you watch the Raptors, it's really enjoyable. I think Zach Lowe even went on a diatribe about this. I guess whatever a positive diatribe is um, <laughs> on his podcast talking about just there's constant cutting and movement and screening and passing and, you know, beautiful possessions one after another. That's kind of the deal. And that's really what they've kind of hit over this 11 games. And yes, it's come against some very, very porous defenses. But at the same time, you can only play who's in front of you, and they've been really good against bad teams all season long. And the thing about the league this year is that there's like 18 bad teams, so everyone's playing a lot of bad teams you know, night in and night out. And so I don't know if the Raptors are any different in the fact that their schedule's been easy. I think a lot of teams kind of have these stretches of the schedule where it's like, oh, uh, I have most of the East on my schedule coming up, and <laughs> most of the East is bad. So uh, by, by proxy, we, the schedule is not exactly difficult. Um, and like they still were very good early in the season against a very tough schedule as well. So I think they're pretty legit, man. Like they, their net rating over the course of the year is like a plus 6.7. They're top four, I think, in net rating. Their defense, like I said, is number two. There's lots of things that suggest to me that this is a, at the very least an excellent regular season team. And we'll see how the offense translates in the playoffs. But the defense, I think, is going to give them a floor in the postseason, uh, no matter what. I'm glad they're winning a lot for one reason because a lot of the Pacers fandom conglomerate, whatever you want to say, has said all season long, you know, oh, we're going to catch the Raptors in the standings. And I say, why? The Raptors are very good. Oh, they're going <laughs> to they're going to sell their veterans. Why? They're second in the East. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. It never made sense to me either, man. Like I was all season long. I've been calling this the the, the, uh, the Hakuna Matata season. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. Like, there should be, there should be no Who cares what happens this year? Exactly. Like, it's just like, okay, let's watch the Olds defend their title nobly. Let's get another run for Pascal Siakam in the playoffs as a number one option. And then just, like, recalculate in the summer. And the other thing, too, uh, and a friend of mine on the Raptors beat, Blake Murphy, has brought this up quite a bit lately. Bird rights are actually going to be pretty handy this summer, considering there's not much cap space around. So you could probably in theory, keep your expiring guys on board and then potentially flip them in sign-in trades if you're not going to keep them around yourselves in the offseason. 
And really, the only guys that have expiring now, I think Fred Van Vliet, like they're probably going to re-sign him at some point. They, it seems like that's on track to happen. And then there's uh, Marcus Saul and Serge Ibaka. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys is back. And then if some team really wants Serge Ibaka or Marcus Saul as like a piece to their championship puzzle, the Raptors can probably fetch an asset for them because I don't think either of those guys are going to go sign with one of the five terrible teams that are sitting there with cap space <laughs> with this cap summer. Room, so. Right. Yeah, it's it's been very, very nice. It kind of seems, too, like the Pacers have been going through a bit of this, too, am I right? Like, I, I know now that Oladipo's back, things have gotten a little bit more serious, but this always felt like it. a bit of a mulligan year, right, because of the lack of Oladipo, because really it seems like next year when Oladipo, you would figure, is back to full health was, is sort of the one where they'd really go for it. Have you kind of felt that as well, that it's been a pretty easygoing year? Uh, I was until Vic came back. I hate, yeah. I hate, I've hated the vibe recently with, with everything. Not around the team. The the players are fine. They understand, but like, people who follow the team are like, oh my god, they lost two games in a row, and Vic looks terrible. I'm like, guys, he's played three games in <laughs> three hundred ninety days. Like, what are we doing? And it's just weird because before he was back, like they were already, pre- you know, they beat Toronto. I mean, Pascal and Mark and Norm didn't play, so it's not, it's not like the thing. But they won. Like they're they're good. They've beaten very good teams along the way. They were good without Vic, and there were no expectations because they didn't have Vic. And now they have him, and then they go one and two in their first day. It's not even like catastrophic, and it's like the worst thing ever. But it was really fun before that. Um, but it's it's it. You know, I think pe- people are starting to realize that okay, this might take some time for this guy who's been out for a year to be good. And now it will be fun again. It'll just take a few more games to get there. Uh, but yeah, there's no expectations, and they're clearly like if Vic gets up to speed at all, going to be better than their seed come playoff time, right? Because they didn't mm-hmm. have him for 47 games, so that's when it will be really fun. Is if they can peak and get the right opponent in the first round. I don't know who that is, and if you get the two seed, it will not be the Raptors, but we'll see. So with Vic, like I know it hasn't looked great early on, like you said, and that's to be expected. Um, and the team's been very good even without him so far. And like Demontis Sabonis is an all-star. He's been fantastic. He's super fun to watch. He's kind of like Bam North a little bit uh, in the way that he kind of runs <laughs> like the that. offense from the elbows. No, and no, stuff no. Like Bam that. is Sabonis oh, South. Fair enough. Fair. Uh, they're both, they're both proto Gasol. So yes. <laughs> it's <laughs> fair. fair. Uh, yeah. Like I like all of those guys and I kind of, I think that might be sort of the way forward for centers, right? Is like dudes who can kind of create and initiate offense a little bit. And maybe they're a little bit more stationary and, you know, bound to the paint. But the, the way they sort of can orchestrate your offense is a nice thing. And it allows for spacing and all that nice stuff that we love in 2020. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Um, and so like, I, I, I'm curious what sort of percentage of last year Oladipo do you think they need if they want to say win a round of the playoffs or can they win it even if Oladipo is kind of a shell of himself? They're, they're, they're clearly the guys around him are, are exponentially better than last year. I mean, they were two years ago, they did not win a single game without him. And then last mm-hmm. year, I think they were a little under 500 and then whatever, 30 and 16, 30 and 17 without him this year. Uh, and they still had a ton of injuries along the way in the, in the first 47. So they're clearly better without him. So I, I think it's just going to be about, for him, 
Like if he can just be a play finisher, even come playoff time, which he's not that yet. Like he's shooting 20%. That's not a typo. It's been brutal, but if he can just be a play finisher, like a, an amazing second or third option come playoff time. Yeah. They'll clearly be better than last year and be dangerous. Um, so far that's not there, but I mean, it's almost impossible for me to think he doesn't get there just because I've, you've seen so many, like he's reading the pick and roll. Well, he looks fast already. Like all this stuff that just suggests like, yeah, you know what? He hasn't played a game in freaking forever and he'll figure all out all that stuff. He just has to keep playing. Totally. Um, like have things changed the way they play? Yes. With, with like, you asked. like should, for the worse, like, is, is, is it, no, not is it as fun? Yeah, like how, um, how have things changed? Well, so it's kind of weird because he's on a minute restriction, which is fine. Uh, and he's coming off the bench, which is also fine because their starting lineup's been really good. But in tandem, those things kind of make this weird thing where, A, so he plays the last six minutes of every quarter. And that's not going to happen against the Raptors, actually. They're ramping that up to 28 minutes, and they might start him for the first time in Toronto. But the first three games, that's what they did is the last six minutes of every quarter. So he plays with the second unit more than the first unit which is not the unit he'll be playing with when he's all the way up to speed and it breaks up their bench which has been like the best thing about them this year so mm-hmm. they, they've been outscored by 19 with him on the floor in the three games and they've lost in regulation by 16 points over the three games like you do the math so it's it it's just disrupted the rotation a ton so i wonder how much of the the 28 minutes and the possibly starting thing is them being like oh shit we should probably change this plan <laughs> a little bit and uh get get the right lineups that are going to work out there because the other shift is Jeremy Lamb, who's been starting, will move to the bench when Vic is starting and all that. And and Lamb in the bench has been like ridiculous on offense so far. I mean, they've mm-hmm. made a, an ungodly percentage of threes, which won't keep up, but it looks really good because they have all these, you know, McConnell, Sabonis, and McDermott just whipping the ball around and hitting these threes. And Lamb's like, oh, yeah, I'm the fourth option and I can score from everywhere. Like the Raptors know, right? He's hit two half court shots against them or something stupid. So I, re- I repressed that. I didn't know that happened. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So I think when they get up to more normalcy, uh, that will be better. And I think the earlier they shift him to the starting lineup is better at this point, just because we're calling it an adjustment period now and he's struggling. Like, why would they change it again and have us have another adjustment period? So that shift will help, I think, A, with more fun and B, uh, establishing more normalcy as, as things go forward. Another question I have for you about just like what we can expect matchup wise is, so Turner and Sabonis have started together, and yes, I think that's you know that kind of runs a little bit counter to what. No one ever asks do. me about this. Oh, I'm, I'm very excited <laughs> to talk to you about. Oh, is that is this is that were you just kidding? I was kidding. This yeah, is, that's everybody's okay. basic question. <laughs> Sorry, whatever. Oh, you're fine. Uh, you're getting important information. <laughs> um, and they kind of do it like they run a little counter to what the Raptors do, right? Where they kind of have the similar skill sets between Gasol and Ibaka, and Ibaka is the backup center, comes off the bench. Uh, and uh, like Siakam, I guess, opens up that up for them because of what he does. And that's sort of my intrigue here with this matchup. Where you know, Siakam missed the first matchup. How have Turner and Sabonis done when they've been forced to guard in space? Like, is that, like neither of them really sort of profile as like typical guys who can go chase people out to the perimeter. And you know, based on the success the Pacers have had this season and the fact that they've stuck with it for more than half the year. It seems as though maybe they're actually having more success on defense than it would, you know, kind of logically, like what, like than what maybe logic would said would have said before the season that they would have had. Right now, they're at one hundred six and a half defensive rating with those two out there, which is good. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right; those are what you'd consider the weaknesses. And and the, the 
you can stretch that further and, and pin it on Sabonis's weakness because they're just going to put Turner on the guy or on the basket every time, right? His his ability can, to handle pick and rolls by himself and come from the weak side is you know top five in the league. So Sabonis has to defend in space more, and, and Sabonis is quick, deceptively quick, and he you know I think everyone who watches their team a lot will say that about their guy's weakness, but you know he's okay in space, but you know obviously it's a weakness. Like anyone can watch him and notice he's not fast. So it just depends who his matchup is. And, like, you, the Raptors are a team that it actually works pretty well against, right? Because, I mean, they do go small, but they're, they're not, like, blazing fast at, at the four or anything like that, which, which helps them a lot. But they're, 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 Siakam is, like, insanely fast. What are you talking about? Siakam <laughs> is pretty fast, right? But he not, like, he's not this – okay. That's, like, yeah. his thing. No, he's <laughs> not. I don't know. He it's, it's, it's not like uh, – I know I'm an idiot. But it doesn't seem like it's, like, straight at the basket speed, right? He's, like, a spinny kind of – Get around yeah. the dudes fast. Yeah. 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 So he's not going to just blow right past them. It's like Bojan last year could guard DeMar because DeMar was a lot of side to sidey stuff. But as soon as DeMar went straight at the basket, Bojan was like, what just happened? I just got beat. Right. It's the same right. kind of thing. So, yes, Siakam is fast. I, uh, well, <laughs> let's, let's edit that part out. We're not going to do that. I'm sorry to call you out. No, we're not no that's okay. That I deserve at least it. I'm not editing it into this. The, the rap I'm not editing podcast. it out. I'm going to get all the people mad at you and then uh, <laughs> they will cheer for me as i come to see occam's rescue <laughs> is he even good i'm just kidding yeah well no, he's garbage we can stop talking about the pacers now and shift to Siakam because yeah. he didn't play the first time these guys played uh and it took an aaron holiday miracle game for the pacers to even win that game in overtime uh so obviously the raptors are much better than the team the pacers saw in december because Siakam is amazing this year and uh, obviously I am an idiot for not realizing he is amazingly fast, but I do uh, <laughs> catch my fair share of Raptors games. Don't worry. Um, but he's, you know, it's just crazy to watch him spin around everything in his way and he can pass and he's a good off the dribble shooter now and all this stuff, but describe what has made Siakam work so well as the first option, because that's, what's taken him from really good going to be a star to, okay, he did it. He's a star because now he's doing this with the ball all the time. It really has just been like a truly startling change in his shot profile in terms of difficulty and him somehow being able to maintain some semblance of efficiency while doing that. Like last year, he was very much opportunistic, right? Like he would, you know, cut from the corner and take advantage when Kawhi Leonard saw a couple bodies that would be found on the... That the that guy. Uh, oh yeah, 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 fun, yeah. Quiet. The fun guy. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, he would sort of leverage. Or, yeah, he would leverage all the attention sent towards Kawhi into space that he could then exploit, and then he would you know get found by passes and stuff like that, and he would destroy teams. And he was a really really good corner three point shooter last season. I think he shot like forty four percent or something like that from the corners. And this season, he's like basically cut out corner threes entirely and is not cutting at all and he just kind of has the ball a lot and he's been a just able to pull up from three all over the place above the arc you know he's been catch and shoot above the arc as well like it's just been a complete change where his shots have come from he still gets to the rim a ton obviously he still drives quite a bit but the thing that's the thing about his drives this year is it's not against the compromised defense that's overcompensating to stop Kawhi. it's a defense that's loaded up on him and still he manages to you know, plow through guys, spin them into oblivion. And he's been really, really, really good from the post too. He's just got a really good sense of like when double teams are coming, how to sort of exploit the baseline and, you know, get that little pocket of space and take advantage of it and get to the basket with those little drop steps. And, you know, he'll like yo-yo the ball away from guys when doubles come and find, pat- and find shooters with really nice passes out of the post. 
And like all of that stuff is like top option, you know, like a top option repertoire that he just like found over the summer somehow, despite never really <laughs> oh, having that rollout outside of a few games last season when Kawhi sat. And even then, a lot of that was Kyle running the offense more than it was Pascal Siakam. And, and he just like over the summer was like, okay, I'm going to practice all these shots that I'm going to have to use as the number one option. And he's good at them. And it's like absurd that he's been so good. And, you know, the efficiency has dropped off quite a bit. Like last year, I think he had like a 63 true shooting. Uh, yep. I think he's down to about 56 right now. And, you know, there, there have been some growing pains here and there. And he'll, he'll sometimes put up wobbly lines, you know, like a 7 of 22 from time to time, just because he kind of, you know, gets a little overzealous at times and tries to force things. But for the most part, like with the three-point shooting, he's, and I think recently a bit of an increased ability to get to the line too, which was a big problem early on. He's really kind of uh, started to climb back up in terms of true shooting and stuff like that. And that, that really is what it is. Like the shot chart for him is 100% different than it was last year. And the way he's getting his shots is completely different. They have him running pick and roll in crunch time now. And it's actually worked. Wow. I think you may, you may have seen he uh, hit a game-winning pull-up three against the Knicks a couple weeks back, uh, you know, working a pick and roll with Fred Van Vliet as a screener. And that's just something they'll bust out. And they really, I think, kind of handed over the reins to him in crunch time lately too because of all the work he's put in to, you know, sort of prove that he's able to create offense for the team and keep the offense flowing. And, you know, when they don't trust him to, to have the ball in his hands, they just have him as the screener with Kyle Lowry. And it's a bucket every single time for one of the two. And it's just been – it's been a lot of fun, man. It's been very unexpected. I was expecting a lot of growing pains with Pascal this year. I thought the defense was going to have to carry the offense pretty significantly. I thought the offense was going to be somewhere around, like, you know, 15 to 20 in the league at best. They're number 13 right now, but they're not far off from, you know, the top 10. Like I said, they've been amazing lately. And it's all because Pascal has just, you know, t- taken on this number one, like, option workload and shot chart and made it work somehow. I, I don't really know how, but it's it's happened, and it's pretty damn cool. Yeah, we were – we look at every team the Pacers are going to play during the week in our first episode of the week. All right, we get to the Raptors, and I'm looking at Siakam. His usage is up 10% from last year. Yeah. It's like, that is crazy for a volume increase. So, like, naturally, his true shooting and efficiency is going to go down a little bit. But to still be able to get to the rim when he wants and have this versatile three that you know, he, he's hitting about the same percent as last year on twice the volume, it's like, my goodness, what, what a player. Like, it's just ridiculous how much better he's gotten. I'm really excited for the Sabonis matchup just to sort of see how that works because yeah. he's had some issues with certain bigs in the past. Bam has given him a lot of trouble. Jonathan Isaac is typically someone – will give him issues uh i'm curious where sabonis comes in there because i will say uh typically white euros are uh siakam's lunch <laughs> but i think <laughs> sabonis is oh, like good. a little bit differently built um and a little bit more sound and probably a little smarter defensively it doesn't like crowd up on siakam and just wait to get spun in into uh into the black hole <laughs> and so I- i'm fascinated to watch that matchup and I- i'm curious to see if the little you know maybe switch things up and throw turner on him too just to see if maybe that length can bother him because length, you know, as I mentioned with like an Isaac or a, or a Bam has given Siakam trouble at times as well. So I, I think there probably should be multiple looks to see, you know, how it works. And I think right. we might see Pascal kind of try to take advantage of, as we talked about the, the, the maybe the, the, the weakness in guarding in space for both Sabonis and Turner. I wonder if maybe this is a game where they turn it over to Siakam a lot to run, pick and roll and try to, you know, draw the bigs out and see if he can, you know, 
rain hell from above the arc on, on threes in, 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 a, in a Pacers matchup is sort of like a, a way to work around the, that really big front court. They did well against Sabonis the first time these guys played, but they did not do well against Turner. And some of that was no Gasol, no Siakam, right? You're relying on OG or McCaw or whoever to get one of those guys every time down the floor. And that, you know, Turner's going to kill tiny people. I know he's not an awesome post player, but he's a seven foot tall person. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to, to Siakam just restoring some normalcy to that matchup because that, 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 that was kind of odd, just the way that that cross match went down last time. But Man, I want Gasol to play. I just really like Marcus Gasol. I said a nice thing about Marcus Gasol in the Fieldhouse group chat the other day. I said mm-hmm. we were talking about um, the Raptors defending the Bucks last year in the playoffs, and I said, "Yeah, they did really well because they had the best defender in basketball and Kawhi Leonard." And it was my <laughs> Kawhi Leonard was like the fourth best defensive player on last year's Raptors. Man, <laughs> like, yeah, they're insane. He was, like he was great, obviously, and against Giannis, it was indispensable in the conference finals, but. Like, Lowry's a genius. Fred Van Vliet is, like, the most annoying on-ball defender this side of Patrick Beverly. And, you know, even Siakam last season, I think, was a little bit better than he has been this year as sort of, like, a free safety. And I will say, Siakam's defense in the last five or six games has been monstrous, and he's been all over the place. And so I'm curious to see how that plays out when he probably draws the Sabonis or the Turner uh, responsibilities. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it should be a fun one, man. I, I like these two teams. They're both fun. They both sort of uh, overshoot the expectations all the time. And I, that endears itself, obviously, to my heart a little bit. And so <laughs> I'm looking forward to this one. Hopefully, I mean, you know, for Raptors fans, you hope that Victor Oladipo doesn't bomb away and return to full Victor Oladipo status <laughs> in this game. But also, that'd be cool to see that happen because Victor Oladipo rules. One day, or one day, one of these games, he's going to have his progression to the mean, right? Where he remembers everything about playing in a game and isn't afraid of contact at the rim and, and just probably like 10 for 14 or something. It's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, so who, it'll be Van Vliet on him, I'm guessing, right? If that's how this game starts. That's uh, a for him. Yeah, maybe. Uh, like the maybe Raptors OG. do. Mm. Y- yeah, it might be OG, honestly, because mm-hmm. there's no TJ Warren, right? Is he still out? Yes, TJ Warren will not be playing with a concussion. Uh, last game, I started Aaron Holiday in his stead, but if they're considering shifting Vic to the starting lineup, I'm going to assume that if they're saying that they're considering it, they're going to do it. That could be wrong. Yeah, so I think it'd probably be like OG on Oladipo. I mean, I guess they'll see how Oladipo's like, legs are and stuff. If he doesn't profile as like a terribly dangerous threat because he's still working his way back in, right. maybe they can throw Lowry on him or whatever, but... You know, I would say oh, no. <laughs> underest- underestimate Lowry or Fred's ability to defend a larger person at your peril because they've been absurd. I, and, you know, on the perimeter is a bit, a bit of a different story, but I think Lowry has, like, the best uh, stats defending post-ups in the entire league. <laughs> he's, wow. He's, a, he's just, like, a monster. He's got that the booty, enormous, man. But, yeah, it is the, boot, the, the booty that anchors him down <laughs> and just keeps him in place. And, and, like, they're just really, really pesky. The fact that they – I was not – sold on them being able to play them together in the starting five this season because they're both six feet tall if that and they have made it work and they're just so annoying and nick nurse man he he will try weird things i Coach would imagine yeah he like has, he's he been ridiculous nate mobile is number two by the way he should have been number two last year too he's amazing um you and i i think nate mobile is 
deeply, deeply underappreciated. Uh, look at this very nice podcast between We're doing good things. It's because we have respect. a Canadian on here, right? This is so different than when I do a Celtics podcast with John. <laughs> and I'm just screaming about, about how I hate the Celtics. <laughs> oh, when I do the next Heat show, when I have to talk about Jimmy Bowen and TJ Warren, there will be no nice <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it should be fun. I, I think the, the the defensive matchups in this one are interesting. I think they could be pretty fluid, and Nick Nurse might come up with some weird stuff to uh, try to exploit the bigs. And you know, it, it, it'll be a good time. I, I think this, this is. I'm glad we get both games back to back too. It's like a mini series to try to get a real feel of what the matchup looks like. Yeah, I'm excited to watch uh, the second most famous person from Rockford, Illinois, Fred VanVleet. Who's the most famous person? Uh, Sean, you were talking to him right now. <laughs> I didn't know he was from Rockford until the conference finals. They were talking about his son and like there was a profile on Fred. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's an NBA player from Rockford. That's crazy. Oh man, if you watch the Raptors every game, it's impossible to not know that he's from Rockford because <laughs> they talk about it a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very clear now. I, the Wizards I always talk about, Victor Oladipo uh, went to high school in DC and I think they mm. talk about him like, all the time. <laughs> they bring up the right. It's just one of those things. Uh, okay, so I have one more question for you about these yeah. series. Well, actually, kind of two more, but the second one's kind of a joking one. All right, what matchup scares you the most from a Raptors perspective? Like, who on the don't like jokingly say Jeremy Lamb? Like, what matchup do you think if the Pacers win one or both of these games, how are they able to kill the Raptors and get points? So this is interesting because I was looking at the numbers just now and I was a little surprised that the Pacers aren't a better offensive rebounding team considering they play bad. two bigs. Actually, bad. Uh, yeah, and that has been where the Raptors lose most of their games. They're like first possession defense is so good that sometimes they they'll give up a million, a million offensive rebounds and it doesn't matter because even if they give up second chance points, they're still ridiculous defensively. But I, I was expecting to see the Pacers near the top, but they are number twenty seven in offensive rebounding rate, and if they're not crashing the offensive glass, that seems like a bit of a missed opportunity because Serge Ibaka is not an awesome rebounder. That Ibaka. Siakam front court has kind of gotten bludgeoned by teams on the offensive glass. And so it's not even like an individual player matchup, it's just like the glass, which, you know, has been an issue for the Raptors. And, you know, it might run counter to, you know, if you see a team near the bottom in the offensive rebounding category, it kind of suggests sometimes that they kind of forego that anyway and just try to get back on defense, which is fine. But I wonder if they'll sort of change things up knowing that the Raptors are uh, not so awesome when it comes to stopping that. They're number 26 in defensive rebounding rate. And again, most of their losses have been due to giving up just huge gulfs in shot attempts. Uh, There've been a couple of games where they've lost by like four or five points, but have given up like 15 to 20 more shots (laughs) than the other team. Uh, And and that has been the difference. So curious to see, that'll be a fun little thing to watch with the possession battle. What about you, sir? Do you have a matchup you're interested in? Well, I want to hit on the rebounding before I I get into that, but uh, the Pacers just got out rebounded by 22 by the Knicks a few Hmm. minutes ago. That was embarrassing. So their their problematic rebounding thing. Sabonis is awesome at it, uh, and he a lot of his are his own misses, so it's like misleading. But he's still clearly strong and good at grabbing the ball. They get screwed up a lot where they really try to cl- crash the defensive glass, right? So they kind of scoot in on shots. But with the league shifting to these threes, there's a lot of long rebounds, and they just get smoked on those, right? Like they just fly off the rim, and the Pacers lose it over and over and over. So. If the Raptors take a lot of threes, even if they're missing them, they'll, they'll have a lot of good chances for those offensive rebounds. Uh, and that's where they can make up that gap that they normally don't have. To me, looking at the lovely Toronto Raptors, uh, the guard play is what, what 
put instills the most fear in me matchup wise as good as mm-hmm. brogdon and vic have been vic is, is shaking off the rust and brogdon struggled with uh with some shiftier guards this year and lowry and fred are both pretty shifty you know against Plus, the there's Ma- the ptsd from the conference finals last year <laughs> as well <laughs> except brogdon played okay in that series didn't he He was their second best player yeah i was gonna say close. he was okay against the he almost overcame eric bledsoe being an absolute <laughs> pumpkin which is not easy <laughs> to do pumpkin. <laughs> I like that. Uh, but so against the Mavs countless times a few nights ago, right? He would get beat. So they'd have to tag the roller from the weak side and the Mavs would just whip it to the corner for an open three. So if Lowry and Fred or whoever Brogdon happens to be guarding are able to get past him, which hasn't been particularly hard recently, surprisingly, uh, they should be able to generate some, some good looks from the high efficiency spot before. So he's going to have to lock down a little better and Turner behind him is going to have to do a good job keeping the roller in front so they don't have to, to squeeze in as much. Yeah, no, that's that. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I forgot what my silly question was. Crap! Oh, come on, dude. That's not good. I know that's not a good <laughs> question. That's never a good thing to forget. I can't remember. Was it something about the Raptor? Was it something about? It might have been the Raptor uh, thing, honestly. Was it about Doug McDermott <laughs> always destroying the Raptors, dating back to his Bulls days? Oh yeah, there was a there was a streak of the Bulls beating the Raptors 11 games in a row over like three or four years. And Doug McDermott, I think, had like four or five 20-point games in that stretch. Uh, so there's always a bit of uh, built-in Oh, it was fear. a story I remember now. I did not know that Doug yeah. was so killer against the, the Raptors. I mean, there were like a bunch of guys in those Bulls teams that like were <laughs> inexplicably awesome against the Raptors. Like Etwan Moore had some monster games. Aaron Brooks That's an Indiana legend. He went to Purdue, man. Don't, <laughs> you'd be little Etwan here. No, I would never do that. He had like a 30-point game <laughs> yeah. last year, too, for the Pelicans here, too. So, uh, no, I have a healthy respect for each one and I all remember, former Bulls. <laughs> I remember now, after they, they – so if you'll remember, then when they won in overtime in Indiana, they had a chance near the end of regulation to win it, and they did not. Uh, but I saw Jeremy Lamb in the locker room after that game, and I was like, Jeremy, do you think you're going to hit another half-court shot? And he's like, honestly, dude. I was convinced in my head, like the whole possession, I was going to somehow get the ball and hit another button. <laughs> so, so just so Raptors people know, Jeremy Lamb uh, is convinced he's going to hit another buzzer beater against them. So. The nice thing about being a Raptors fan now is that no buzzer beater can possibly hurt us because we were there for the one. You got all the karma was, out in one. Yeah, like just <laughs> the only buzzer beater that ever needs to exist or engender any sort of feelings in us uh, has already happened, and we're good with it. I so. watch a lot of <laughs> basketball, and I still sense that shot. I've not seen one bounce like that. No, it doesn't happen. It was, <laughs> Actually, it, I think it's like I, crazy. I want to say like the first Raptors game of the season, there was a very similar uh, shot by like the opposing team. And I think the announcer was like, Oh, that's karma or something like that. <laughs> like, yeah, not quite equal, but sure. <laughs> I think it was John Collins just had the half court shot that went over the back of the backboard and still rolled back in. It didn't count, <laughs> but I think that's as close as I've seen. That's crazy. Yeah. That has to be so, it has to be such a fun viewing experience knowing that your team is good Probably not a title team, but it doesn't matter because you just won a championship. Like I think that's probably the, the peak viewing experience for a fan. Yeah, now if the stupid Knicks would hire uh, like an agent to be their president <laughs> and stay away from Masai, I'd be just thrilled. Uh. <laughs> I, I saw the jokes about him. Tra- what would he trade for himself? I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I I, I don't want to. I pro- I did a little top a thing off the top of the Raptors show that you're listening to if you're a Raptors fan and you're listening to Locked On Raptors right now. Um, so I don't need to go too far into it. But uh, get your hands off, you creepy stalker, James Dolan. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, man. 
so again, sponsored by Taco Bell here. Uh, check out the skills challenge to see the real Raptors versus Pacers. But these two games should be fun. These home and homes are fun. Uh, the Pacers had one against the Timberwolves, and I think the Timberwolves said something. The Timberwolves coach Ryan Saunders said something about how it's it's a little easier to prep when you have uh, it's more like more like a playoff series. Like the Timberwolves would know, haha. But still, um, it's it's a little easier to prep when you got two games in a row against the same team. So should be a little more intricate on the X's and O's and uh, and all the fun. You also may be privy to Raptors history. If the Raptors win, they will set a franchise record for their 12th straight win. And uh, wow. that would be nice. They've fallen short uh, the last two times they got to 11. So, and some uh, potential tiebreaker implications. So it's unlikely the Pacers catch the Raptors in the standings. Yeah, that would require the Raptors to ever lose again, which they might not. Well, when they sell <laughs> off all their veterans, Sean. Uh, <laughs> when Masai Ujiri sabotages the team from the inside before jumping ship to New York. Yeah, yeah. yeah when he trades Kyle Lowry for Dennis Smith and then runs. Well, uh, it's, it's, it's fine. We can laugh. <laughs> it's not tearing me apart at all. <laughs> uh, Sean, so I mentioned when I introduced you, you wrote a book and you have a lot of stuff to promote. So uh, go crazy for a few seconds. Yeah. Yeah, uh, We the Champs is the book I wrote. If you are a Pacers fan who uh, wants to read about the Raptors championship run, you can buy that on wherever you get your books, Amazon, all over the place. Uh, Go to a bookstore if it's there. Don't buy it on Amazon. Um, You can also find me at at Woodley Sean on Twitter and subscribe to this year's podcast, uh, Locked on Raptors and Locked on Pacers and all of our Locked on Podcast Network offerings. And uh, yeah, that's about all I got going on. I write for Raptors HQ as well. I'll be at the game tomorrow. So probably hey. some sort of recapping thing from me there, whether it's tomorrow night or on Wednesday or on Thursday or whatever, whenever we're recording this, I don't even know. The chronology is off to me. Um, <laughs> but in the, in the time after the game takes place, the first of the two games, you will see something from me written at RaptorsHQ.com. There you go. Go check all that out. Uh, from the Raptors perspective, Sean is good, does funny stuff. Still has Terrence Ross, Pacers killer, in his header on Twitter, which is also yeah. funny stuff. He is uh, the, only, uh, the only person I care about. He's my friend. He uh, scored 80 points against the Pacers two seasons ago, and the most he scored against any other team was like 65. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I did a whole so, research project on this. Fun story for you. The uh, desk at which I'm recording this podcast, above it, I have two framed pictures. One is like an art uh, rendition of Kawhi's dunk on Giannis in the conference finals in game six. And the other is just Terrence Ross dribbling the ball at the court frame that I got for a Secret Santa one time. And uh, it's <laughs> my, my most prized possession. If there's ever a fire, you know what I'm grabbing first. The only NBA things I have on my desk are those little owls. You can buy on NBA.com. I have a... <laughs> a Miami Heat owl. He's wearing a visor with some sunglasses and a Denver Nuggets one. I think he's got some mining gear on and a gold basketball. Oh, I've also got my Kyle Lowry championship bobblehead, uh, a ah. replica championship ring, and a 1995 edition Barbie in a Raptors jersey. Wow. <laughs> you stuck around this long. You are in for a treat of this locked on cross. <laughs> uh, if you're here from the Raptors, you can follow me at T East NBA and locked on Pacers on Twitter at locked on Pacers. Of course, that's pretty easy. Uh, and of course, follow Sean. He does great stuff. Uh, and that is all we got. Correct. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, if, if you're here Friday, hopefully the Wednesday game was fun. Uh, and the trade deadline is over, which is great. If not, Uh, Enjoy the next two days of basketball and don't talk about trades anymore with me. Thank you very much and have a great day.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.